1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Joe McCormick. And I was just out of town for about a week and a half. So, Robert, you recorded some interviews while I was out. That's
1: right. I didn't have you to talk to. So I'm like, <laughs> who am I going to talk to? So I just started calling people up and uh, saying, hey, let's, let's talk about some stuff. And one of these uh, individuals was Daniel Whiteson, uh, who is uh, a, uh, a physicist and the co-host of the podcast Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe
0: we 've been meaning to talk to these guys for a while, and i 'm sorry I missed the chance to to chat with you and daniel, but uh, i 'm excited to hear what you all talked about
1: yeah this is a, this is a fun little conversation we talk uh, We talk a little bit about you know physics and particle physics, a little bit about science communication, and just also just the the nature of science and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was just really a really fun little chat. It was nice to to actually uh, you know chat with a, a physicist about this because you know there are times where you and I, we we are not physicists, so <laughs> a little bit not. And and so when we're tackling some of these like really complicated uh, physics related topics, you know, uh, uh, we're we're at times struggling with the content, and uh, you know, having and helping the listener struggle with the content. Uh, uh, it's so, when
0: our nature as generalists is brought out. <laughs> yes, and
1: I think there's an ad- there's certainly an advantage in, in in being a generalist and and, and listening to a generalist. But uh, it it was also just really cool to to speak to an expert uh, yeah. about some of these topics. So, uh, totally. so yeah, it's a, it's a really, really fun one. Uh, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the interview, and we'll jump out for AdRex, of course, and then we'll meet you at the end. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Uh, can you go ahead and just uh, introduce yourself, your name and your title, for, uh, for everybody out there listening?
2: Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, I'm Daniel Whiteson. I'm a professor of experimental particle physics at University of California at Irvine. I'm also the co-host of Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, our podcast that comes out twice a week about mind-blowing, crazy stuff about the universe. And together with Jorge Cham, we also wrote a book called We Have No Idea, a guide to the unknown universe that tells you all about all the things that we don't know about
1: the universe and uh, how let's see how when did the show actually start I know it's been going for uh, uh, for, for quite a while now uh, you have a, a number of episodes banked up.
2: Yeah, we're actually just hit a hundred episodes Oh nice so we've been yeah it comes out twice a week and so we've been doing it for just over a year. And you know, the topics vary from like how big is the universe to more pedantic stuff like how does lightning work and does anybody actually understand it? Uh, we just look for mysteries anywhere, you know, puzzles that physicists like to unravel, and we hope our listeners like to hear us blather about.
1: Now, uh, again, you're you're a physicist and a science communicator. Uh, Jorge is um, a science communicator and a a, a, a comic artist, correct?
2: That's right. But he actually also has a PhD of his own. Oh. Yeah. He has a hilarious background. (laughs) He uh, went to grad school in robotics and was developing little robots that could run like cockroaches, which is pretty hilarious. But on the side, he started doing a comic strip just to sort of procrastinate the real work he should have been doing. (laughs) And then that took off and became, you know, frankly, more popular than his academic research and
1: turned into a full time gig for him. So how did you guys come together uh, uh, first on the book and, and then again you know the podcast to follow? Well we
2: met on Tinder of course <laughs> like uh, no. Um, Jorge is sort of is something of a celebrity in academia. Um, his comics that he's been putting out called PhD comics really captured the sort of existential angst of doing research and working under a professor and being a grad student. And so when I was a grad student, I loved his work and everybody around me loved his work because they expressed something we were all feeling, you know, how you can be in the lab all day and make no progress or even move backwards. So he was something of a celebrity. And about maybe 10 years ago, I was working on some science communication and I had the idea, what if we could use comics to explain some of these complicated concepts in physics that might be much simpler visually? But um, the problem was I don't have any artistic skill myself, so I couldn't draw these things. So my wife, who's also an academic, she suggested to me, she's like, oh, why don't you email Jorge Cham and ask him to do your drawings? And I was like, yeah, and then I'll email Brad Pitt and ask him to do a (laughs) movie with me, right? I mean, it's sort of at the same level for me, Mm -hmm. but uh, emailed Jorge, cold email, and he actually wrote back and thought it would sound like a fun project, and we've been working on stuff ever since.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, um, uh, obviously it uh, worked well together in the book, but in then on the podcast, you guys have a wonderful rapport.
2: Yeah, we, um, we had fun. We have fun doing the podcast, mostly because we have fun talking science to each other. I mean, when we were working on the book, we would spend a lot of time talking about the concepts and figuring it out. And um, something that Jorge is really good at is teasing out what's interesting about a topic and figuring out how to connect it to the general public. You know, he's not uh, trained as a physicist, but he has a science background. He's mm-hmm. a, obviously the brain force, so he can understand these concepts, but he's outside the field, so he's able to sort of bridge between, you know, the, the, the hard science and the general public. And so I think that works really well. But, yeah, we just had fun. We were just laughing all the time while talking. And so we thought it'd be fun to, hey, record those conversations and share them with people.
1: So you already touched on this a little bit, but the, you know, part of this, you know, as a scientist and a science communicator, you, you're you privy to the the inside world of scientific research and, uh, and academia. Uh, but then you're, you're communicating it to a more general audience. And you mentioned the... Um, You know, the idea of going in, working every day and either feeling as if you're not making progress or feeling like you're you're slipping backwards. Do you you feel that there is a like there's a a myth or a misconception concerning science in the general public that, um, uh, you know, regarding like the the rate of progress uh, in in science or what progress looks like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that most people have no idea what uh, the life of a scientist is like just out of not having had the experience. You know, i think most people go to work and they have a pile of work in front of them and then they work through it you know and then at the end of the day they've done something right mm-hmm. you know even somebody whose job is very simple like uh chopping wood or something right there's this famous time when einstein spent a day chopping wood and he was like wow that is really satisfying you spend <laughs> a day you get a day's worth of work done um whereas in science you can work for months and make no progress or ruin things that you have established but then One day, you know, you can make a huge leap forward. And those are the days we live for. It's very stochastic. Um, And it's hard for me to really remember what I thought science was like before I became a scientist. But, you know, as a kid, I imagined it was days filled with insight and discovery and Mm -hmm. mind-blowing realizations about the universe, you know. But those are very rare and, and few and far between.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, on, on the exterior and in the, the general public, we tend to focus in on those, those, those big moments, right? Those aha moments, those discoveries, like the final paper, or not the final paper, but the resulting paper that comes out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. those moments and not the day, day-to-day that we end up focusing on.
2: That's right. And in order to be a scientist, you, you need to be interested in those big moments. Those drive you. That's what pulls you through the work. But you also have to have an appreciation for the craft of it, right? The day-to-day actual work and i learned this when i was trying to become a scientist because i first joined a field that i thought was exciting like i I became a plasma physicist when i was um, first exploring physics and because because i wanted to solve the world's energy problem and develop fusion i thought that was really awesome but the day-to-day work of working on these reactors i found mind-numbingly dull right Mm -hmm. just the concept like i might one day develop a fusion reactor wasn't enough to interest me every day and And then I tried condensed matter physics, where you're like shooting lasers at goo and trying to make it do weird stuff. And I thought that was awesome. But day to day, you're like tweaking a laser and trying to make it work. Hmm. And that wasn't that much fun. And then eventually I stumbled on particle physics, where most of the work day to day is writing computer programs. So you're solving these little intellectual puzzles involved with debugging computer programs and understanding statistics. And for me, that was really fun. It's totally separate from the actual big questions we're trying to answer every day. You know, what's the universe made out of what's the smallest thing? So I tell this a lot to grad students who are thinking about particle physics. I say, find a field where you're excited about the big questions, but you also got to enjoy the day to day wood chopping Mm -hmm. because that's what you're mostly doing.
1: So in your work, you, you deal with subatomic particles and uh, and astronomy. You deal with reality at the the micro scale and the macro scale. Distances smaller and and vaster than our, our as humans our evolved sensory perceptions. Uh, what does it feel like as a as a human scientist to be sort of trapped between these two uh, realms that it you know at times are, are are difficult to imagine.
2: Yeah, it makes me feel very very small. You know, it's a, I feel like the job of physics at this level is to sort of expand our horizons, you know? Mm -hmm. We've seen the universe sort of at the scale of stuff that's like a meter down to a centimeter, down to maybe a millimeter we can grasp, right, with our minds. And what we're trying to do is push those boundaries to the very, very small and the very, very large. And, you know, the first thing you learn is that there's a huge amount going on at the very small level and at the very big level. And that just makes me feel like, you know, small and insignificant in sort of the best possible way. I mean, it's like, it tells me that the universe is so fascinating and so filled with mysteries um, that we're really just beginning to crack the surface. And I love that feeling. I love feeling like there are amazing discoveries out there waiting for us. And so it makes me feel like, you know, I'm an explorer and there's a huge amount of territory that is left to touch. So it's an exciting feeling, but also intimidating.
1: Now, there's, I guess, there's, you know, even, even no matter how uh, you know large or small the you know the, the details of uh, of the universe you're dealing with, you're, you're, there there is this bedrock experience of reality, and uh, you know I've, I've I've read a little bit about uh, you know the idea that it you know can read, lead to um, like a, a reality bias. Is that a problem for physics? <laughs> a reality
2: bias. That's awesome. Um, I think it's a problem for physics, but it's also the only thing we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of what we do in physics is try to extrapolate from what we know into what we don't know, right? Like, Let's explore this new territory, the subatomic particles. How does that stuff work? What does it look like? When we do that, we build mental models, right? Models in our mind of what might be happening that are based on the kind of things we know, right? Mm-hmm. When I say particle, Probably in your head, you're thinking tiny little ball, right? right. Maybe it's spinning or something. Why do you think that? Because that's one of the things in the catalog of your mind. It's harder to come up with a completely new thing, right? It's like if somebody gave you a totally new fruit you've never eaten before. You might be like, Hmm, it's kind of like apple with maybe a little bit of cherry and banana in it, right? Mm-hmm. You describe things you don't know in terms of things you know, because that's the only thing we really can do. So yeah, we have a reality bias because we've experienced the world in this sort of very specific, unusual set of circumstances where we're not moving close to the speed of light, we don't have as much energy as the sun. And because of that, we have a sort of a set of basic objects we can build off of. And and that that changes how we see the world and it changes um, what we think we have learned about the world and it, and it leads to mistakes, right? Like photons and other particles are not tiny little balls and there are a lot of misconceptions there. But it's also, I think, all we can do. Mm-hmm. We can't sweep away everything we've learned and start tabula rasa, you know? I think one exciting way to probe that reality bias, frankly, is talking to alien physicists. This is why I'm <laughs> so excited for the arrival of extraterrestrials, <laughs> because I have so many questions, I want, and I wanna know, like, how do you guys think about photons, or do you think about photons, or, you know, all this sorts of stuff. I have so many questions for the aliens
1: you know i was i was thinking about this the other day when my my son um uh, who's um who's 7 was asking about uh, about light and light years i think uh, it, it had to do with i was telling about some news about a, a planet 111 light years away mm-hmm. and um and trying to explain it to him and i was thinking at the time well it's kind of like i have I have two ways of of looking at or thinking about light. There's the you know the explanation of photons, and then there's this kind of default but incorrect version of like of light uh, that I kind of fall back into. You know, the sort of like sight as a laser beam. Um, uh, you know, where where it's something mm-hmm. emitted rather than received. But uh, but based on, on the way you just described it, it makes me think, well, maybe they're really doing like three different levels. They're sort of like photons as they actually are. The metaphor, uh, metaphorical version of photons that we use to understand that. And then the, you know, whatever the sort of basic incorrect version based on just the experience of physical reality is.
2: Yeah, and we even have more than one metaphor, right? Because one doesn't do the job, right? We ah. have- photons as a particle. We also have photons as a wave, because sometimes photons do things like, you know, interfere with each other um, in patterns that we see waves do. And so we're like, oh, well, let's explain that using our wave analogy. And then we're like, okay, but now the photons are like bouncing around the way particles do. Okay, now let's use our particle analogy. And a question we often get on our podcast is like, are photons particles or are they waves or are they both? Right. And the answer is they're neither, right? They're not, Hmm. they're not particles. They're not tiny little balls. They're not waves. Those are two different metaphors we use to try to capture the fundamental essential weirdness of this thing, which we never can completely describe in terms of things we're familiar with because they're totally different from anything we've ever seen before, right? It's this weird quantum mechanical particle that can do things that basketballs and water waves just cannot do. So some combination of those two ideas comes closer to describing what it is, but I don't think we'll ever truly deeply understand it the way we understand the way a basketball bounces, just because we didn't grow up experiencing it, right? It's mm. like, if you don't grow up hearing Chinese, you're never going to speak it without an accent. It's just impossible. Right. In the same way, we're never going to really understand photons, no matter how many banana
1: peels we smoke. <laughs> <laughs> um uh- uh, I, I, I like the idea you mentioned about, uh, about alien physicists. So, so yeah, they, if they had do a— Do diff- you know any? I, I, unfortunately, I do not. But, <laughs> 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 but, but I love the idea of, of an alien um, being, you know, not only having, you know, perhaps access to, you know, you know different you know, technological levels of understanding regarding, uh, you know, the cosmos, but having access to, like, different metaphors based on, uh, you know, different uh, levels of sensory awareness, uh, et cetera.
2: Yeah. And I think we would learn so much, you know, in terms of like, what is the language they use to describe this stuff? Uh, Are they mathematical? You know, we have questions about like, is math something that comes out of the human mind? Does it reflect Mm -hmm. the way we think? Or is it something deep about the universe? It seems to us like it must be deep about the universe because it's so pure and crystalline and, and clean, right? And, and all of our physical laws can be described in terms of mathematics. So it must be deep, deep and true. But that's a thought in human minds, shared between human minds, right? We might meet an alien species that doesn't think about math and has some other deep insight into the way the universe works. Uh, The thing that excites and frustrates me is those movies where the aliens come and then like five minutes later, their physicists and our physicists are on a chalk, at a chalkboard, (laughs) excitedly making progress. (laughs) And I'm like, I bet we'd spend like 10 years figuring out what zero means, you know, and then another five talking about real numbers. And then maybe, you know, 20 years in, we can start talking about science or something. I suspect that we would have that, um, Our entire view of the universe and the way we think about physics and math is so biased by our experience, of course it has to be, that um, we would learn a tremendous amount just by encountering those aliens and trying to communicate with them.
1: Yeah, that's interesting to think about because uh, a lot of times we do fall back on this idea of, of math, be it, a, be it this you know wonderful human invention that gets to the heart of reality or being this thing that underlies reality that we've discovered, that either way it would be like this universal language that would not in itself require translation. Uh, yeah, and, and, and demonstrating that by
2: finding an alien species and discovering that they also think in math. That would be an enormous question answered, like one of the deepest questions in the history of human experience crossed off the list. That would be a a great day. All right. It is time for a sponsor break.
0: Let's take a break.
1: And we're back with the interview. Now, uh, in, in terms of, of things that, uh, uh, you know, various uh, scientific experiments, uh, you know, large-scale experiments especially, uh, that, that humans are engaged in, uh, one question uh, that uh, we've asked on the show before that I'd like to ask you is, if, if you could summon the collective will, the political capital, and of course the, the funding to, um, uh, you know, to launch any you know, terrestrial-based scientific experiment, you know, be it a collider, a telescope, et cetera, what would it be and, uh, and why?
2: <laughs> oh no, oh no! You're going to ask me to betray my own field. <laughs> um, well, you know I'm a particle physicist, and I work at these amazing facilities. They cost tens of billions of dollars to smash particles together, and they're wonderful. And they provide me a lifetime so far of intellectual curiosity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the last decade or so, they haven't really revealed that many surprises. You know, we smash particles together. We don't know what we're going to find. Maybe crazy new purple bananas, maybe nothing. Um, it's exploration. Recently, we haven't really found anything. And we don't know if building a bigger one for $100 billion would provide anything or just, or, or uh, you know, more nothing. We don't know. Um, but the thing that's always amazed me is about is telescopes. Because every time we build a new telescope, looks out into the universe either in a new way like x-ray or you know um, infrared or whatever uh, or looks in a new direction or looks deeper like the hubble we always find crazy stuff that blows your mind Mm. stuff that astronomers think what why is that there or we didn't think that was possible so astronomy amazes me because every time humans open up new eyes into the universe they see something crazy and new that teaches us something deep about the universe and what's out there so I think if I had to choose I would build you know a huge fancy amazing telescope that lets us look ever deeper into the universe with clearer and clearer eyes because there's just so much to discover there it feels like feels like every dollar spent there is a dollar of understanding
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, in, in regularly consuming the, you know, the, the science headlines and the the new studies that, that come out, it's it's easy to sort of grow numb to some of the uh, especially the anthropomorphized uh, uh, headlines but uh, like just in like the last few weeks we've had uh we you know we've, we, uh, like just yesterday there's the uh the the new uh, exoplanet that they've been discussing the one that's uh, 111 light years away uh the you know the, the possible presence of water there are the 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 fermi bubbles uh uh from Sagittarius A star uh you know all, there's there's something exciting uh, you know it um, seems like almost every week if you just you know pay attention to it
2: yeah and and you don't you can also just focus on the stuff we've already found Mm -hmm. that nobody understands, right? (laughs) Like, you know, where are these crazy particles coming from with super high energy? Nobody knows. Mm. What's the source of these fast radio bursts, these crazy little super loud, very short bursts of radio energy from other galaxies? We have no idea. It's incredible how much stuff is already out there that we're clueless about, that if we could look deeper and find more of them, we could start to get clues of where are they coming from and what makes them and what's going on over there. It's wonderful to me to to learn about these things happening in the universe that are sort of sh- of shocking scale. You know, like yeah. you learn about the amazing magnetic field around some of these neutron stars or the incredible density of stuff or the huge temperatures. And again, it just makes me feel sort of wonderfully small. And you know, the universe is so much bigger than we ever imagined, but it's also so much more extreme, you know? Mm-hmm. There's dense stuff and hot stuff and fast stuff and crazy stuff. And I love that because it uh, it just tells me that there are more of these crazy, mind blowing moments in the future, and that's that's what I live for.
1: Right. I mean, and, and many of them close to home. Uh, you know, it's easy to to get wrapped up in the you know various exoplanet stories and you know considerations of of uh, black holes. But 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 then like all the mysteries that relate just to our solar system and uh, you know the the, the, un, the, the less uh, uh, known uh, you know outer reaches of it are, uh, are always fascinating.
2: Yeah, then we have moons of Jupiter that have like oceans underneath their surface that Mm -hmm. might have life on them, right? There's potentially incredible discoveries basically just around the corner. So, I mean, I would love to send something up there to drill into that ice and figure out what's underneath and what's swimming around in that ocean. Like, I would definitely pay more tax if we could have more missions to explore just our own solar system, for sure. Sign me up.
1: So, you're you're a scientist and a science communicator. And we, we find ourselves in a time when, especially in the United States, there's a, there's a certain amount of hostility to certain scientific topics, generally politicized topics, especially climate change. Uh, and, of course, the stakes for the future are, are huge uh, when it comes to climate change. Ha, do, you, do you think there have been mistakes, any mistakes in science communication that led us here?
2: <laughs> um, I think everybody makes mistakes because everybody's human mm-hmm. and everybody comes from their own perspective. And, you know, I've heard people be asked questions like, is there a chance the Large Hadron Collider will destroy the Earth? And, you know, the answer to that question, of course, is yeah, there's a chance. right? <laughs> but you have to know your audience, right? You have mm-hmm. to know really what are they asking? They're asking, should I be worried? Right. And the answer to that is no. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of sort of bridging those communities of knowing who your audience is and knowing how to talk to them. And, um, you know, I wouldn't blame anybody in particular. I think everybody is well-intentioned and doing their best. And I commend any scientist who's trying to explain what we're doing and why we're doing it to the public, because in the end, we're doing it for the public. The public are paying for it. Um, It's their science also. So I think uh, we have an obligation to try to share with them and everybody why we're doing it. And, and also to reach out to, to the next generation and excite them, right? Because the next generation of scientists comes from the next generation of children. Mm. And the reason a lot of us are scientists is because some scientists took the time to explain why they were amazed and what they learned. Um, so I don't think it's that useful to assign blame and say like, this person said the wrong thing. Right. Um, but I think we can think about, you know, how is it done well? And um, I think that we should find those scientists who are good at it and who have a passion for it. You know, one thing I really like about science is that it's mostly people following their passions. It's not like somebody came and told me, Daniel, study this topic. Right? <laughs> I'm doing this particular one because I'm pulled into it because I want to know the answers. Somebody else is doing plasma physics because they love it and they love the day-to-day work of climbing around on the fusion reactor. And some people love science communication, and other people like hiding in their office and never talking to human beings and so you know let's let 's let the the huge and
1: varied set of talents we have do their best so it, it, at times you know in in dealing with um, you know, the things of the macro or the, the the micro scale, dealing with things like like radiation you know we 're dealing with things that are again beyond our our, our our ability to really perceive, uh, you know, as, as humans, and we're kind of dealing with invisible realms. And and one thing that was kind of striking me when I was you know thinking about um, you know, things to ask you about was uh, we have, um, you know, we, we have for for ages humans have 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 been willing and able to comprehend uh, invisible realities, uh, you know, along spiritual models and religious models. Um, and yet, sometimes, like the invisible or un, you know uh, uh, difficult to um, uh, to understand aspects of, uh, of of the scientific invisible realms uh, seems to be kind of a, a stumbling block to some people uh why do you think that is? Like, um, it, if you like, if you just put it on paper, it seems it would seem like, oh well, look, for thousands of years, people have had no no problems buying into uh, you know models of reality and, uh, and and reasons for their you know conditions that that, that are not visible. Uh, you know, it seems like they would have a natural proclivity to to take to these uh, more uh, you, know, you know seemingly exotic scientific explanations.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the attractive things about it, right? That science lets you sort of open up a new set of eyes and get mm-hmm. a glimpse of another way that the universe is working. You know, it's like discovering that you've been blind for a thousand years and finally you can see the the universe in a new way. The stuff going on you never even imagined. Um, so I agree. I think it gives you a new view and it gives you a new insight. Uh, it also shows you what tiny fraction of the universe you can actually experience. You know i tell people a lot for example that the that um every second one billion neutrinos passes through your fingernails oh, so wow. like the air around us is just stuffed filled with these neutrinos right you don't notice them you go around your everyday life you never think about them they never think about you either right so it's sort of like being snubbed on the street but it tells you it's a clue there's a huge amount of stuff going on around you all the time that you're not aware of that you're seeing a tiny little slice of what's happening so actually I think the opposite I think that um, people's historical acceptance of mysticism and hidden powers and invisible actions um, lets them makes it easier for them to understand that the universe is filled with invisible crazy stuff um, that they might not have imagined so I've actually had the opposite experience Um, I think that uh, that people are quite receptive to this kind of thinking um, and that they love hearing about it. They love that the feeling of awe when you, when you show them that the universe uh, that you can peel back a layer of reality and show them that the universe is different from what they imagine. because in the end, that's what physics is trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. Is peel back layers of reality and show us sort of what's really there. All right. Time for a break to hear from the sponsor. We will be right
0: back. <laughs> And we are back with the interview.
1: Uh, coming back to just the idea of uh, public perceptions of science and uh, and the work of scientists, uh, what, what are some other examples that that uh, that you've encountered before, uh, you know, big misconceptions that uh, the general public has about, about science or scientists?
2: You know, I think a lot of people think that science is always fun, you know, <laughs> and um, it's not there are days when I'm pulling my hair out because I just can't make something work or, I thought I understood something and then it turns out I've been wrong for five years. Um, and, and the other thing I think that's important for people to understand is that science is not some church of objectivity, right? Science is people. It's people trying to understand the universe. It's just a community of, of, of people. Right. And so, you know, when we talk about science, we try to, some people imagine this like edifice of knowledge that we're building up, this like list of facts, but it's really, it's just a community of the curious right? And those people are, of course, subjective. I'm not perfectly objective. I have things, I have biases and things I like and things I'm interested in and things I'm not interested in. And so as a scientist, you can't be just like off on your own, figuring out the universe. You have to sort of move the community with you, right? Like, for example, I get a lot of emails from people who think they have figured out the universe. Here's my theory. (laughs) I've I've been Mm -hmm. thinking about it and here's my theory. And I think that's wonderful because I love the people out there thinking about this stuff, that they're inspired by the grand mysteries of physics to try to solve it. Awesome. And often these are technical folks, an engineer at Boeing who on the side is thinking about, you know, the nature of light or whatever. That's cool. The thing that I think they don't understand is that you can't just work on your own for 20 years and then deliver your magnum opus, The Theory of Everything, because nobody knows how to digest that. Even you're speaking, you're inventing your own mathematics and working on your own for two decades. Mm-hmm. You're so far away from where we're thinking that it's hard for us to even understand what you're doing. It's like meeting an alien physicist. Mm. And so to be accepted, to change the direction of science, to make some progress, you have to be part of the community and sort of steer the ship a little bit and convince people that what you're doing is interesting so that they will get involved and digest it and build on your work, right? So it's not a bunch of people delivering grand insights in front of an audience of people who are totally unprepared. It's the slow accumulation of work, the the movement of the crowd of minds sort of in a new direction. That's what leads to these really big insights.
1: Uh, we we uh, um, cite the, uh, the, the website, uh, Eon a, a lot. And uh, you uh, actually wrote a, a wonderful piece for them uh, a little while back uh, titled The Most Wonderful Words in Science We Have No Idea Yet. Uh, and it gets into this idea, you know, that, that science is this ever-expanding under, uh, understanding of reality, like we've been discussing. And uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that always makes me think of uh, like a slime mold in, in an experimental maze, you know.
2: <laughs> in the most flattering possible way. Oh, I yes, hope. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that it's,
1: it's expanding, it's following uh, uh, potential uh, pathways, uh, shrinking back from the ones that don't uh, have food, but just ex- expanding. Uh, uh, <laughs> and you, you mentioned in your, your piece uh, that if we were to grab a science textbook, from uh, uh, like a thousand years in the future, uh, that it would be beyond our understanding, and, and it r- reminds me a lot of the—I uh, don't know if you've in- encountered this—but the, the you know the idea of uh, fixed versus growth mindsets. And you see this a lot in uh, business circles, for instance. Is science sort of a um, a growth mindset process for a fixed growth species? Yeah, I think it's um, it's the
2: slow evolution of concepts, right? That build on each other. And I think what I was trying to get at with that is that you can't leapfrog. Hmm. You can't just like fast forward a thousand years and digest everything those physicists have been doing. Like if if I went a thousand years in the future and tried to talk to those physicists, they would be not just using some crazy technology to talk to each other and write, you know, they wouldn't have chalkboards or whiteboards. They would probably have crazy kinds of math that made no sense to me, right? right? Even if they were still speaking English. And so it's, you know, you have to, in in order to catch up, I'd need to probably go through a thousand years of work to get from where I am to where they are, right? You need to sort of build that bridge. You can't just take an enormous leap out into nothing. Um, but the thing that amazes me is the children, the children in that time, they will never have known anything else. And so they will have have been introduced to these concepts from the beginning and they will think they're totally natural, right? Mm -hmm. So, things that those, those scientists learned 900 years from now and then teach to children 1,000 years from now will be totally natural to those kids and totally alien to us. Um, and I think that it's, again, it's just a process of explaining what we don't know in terms of what we do know. And then that basis set of ideas, you know, uh, what the, the basic concepts we think we understand, that slowly evolves. You know, take for example, try to get some perspective. Um, it's only been 100 years that we've understood that there's more than one galaxy in the universe. Wow! Right, like that, that. It was Hubble, like less than a hundred years ago, who looked out and found what he saw were st- he thought were stars that turned out to be way too far away. Nobody understood. Oh my gosh, those are other galaxies. <laughs> like, that's a completely different mindset about the universe. Right, So if you go back 100 years and try to explain to people your research about how galaxies form, they'll be like, what? What do you mean galaxies? You know? <laughs> There's just so many basic things to explain before you can get to the interesting bit. So that's what I was trying to capture is trying to express how, on one hand, somebody from my time, our time, would have a hard time knowing what those scientists are working on. At the same time, those children would find it totally intuitive because they would know nothing else. And so that would be really fascinating And frankly, if I went to the year 3000, I would not be prepared to read anything other than a children's book because everything else would be so far beyond us.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, uh, let's let's as we you know begin to close out here. I want to come back to uh, the podcast, and uh, you know part of the the podcast mission statement um, is to explain the universe. Uh, so where uh, where are you? Uh, one year in on the uh, you know uh, your completion level of explaining the universe?
2: <laughs> I would say approximately zero percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, science has, you know, what fraction of the universe has science understood? I think 0% is a good estimate. (laughs) You know, we've only recently stumbled across big questions, you know, questions like why is the universe expanding and expanding faster and faster? Um, This is a question we only discovered 20 years ago and we still have no idea how to explain it. And what that tells me is that there are huge questions out there that we haven't even discovered yet, you know? There are also other questions we don't even know how to make progress on. Like, Mm. what is the nature of time? Why does Mm. it only move forwards? Uh, What is even space? You know, it has three dimensions or maybe more. It can wiggle and shake and expand and bend. What is this stuff? (laughs) Um, There's so many things we have not yet scratched. And I think the deepest questions, we have not even discovered the questions yet. And so... Um, I think 0% is, is approximately a fair estimate. You know, there are other ways to look at it, though. Like, we know, for example, how much energy there is in the universe. Sort of crazy and amazing. But we can measure the total energy density of the universe by measuring how much it bends space. And then we can ask, like, how much of that energy can we account for? And there we've made a solid 5% progress because 5% of the energy is in terms of matter like me and you and hamsters and bananas. (laughs) So that's some concrete progress, you know, but it leaves 95% of the universe (laughs) totally unexplained. So um, there's lots of stuff to keep exploring and definitely lots of material for future
1: episodes. So uh, for anyone out there who is checking out uh, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe for the first time, uh, what do you recommend? Start at the beginning, start with the most recent episodes, or are there key episodes that you would recommend uh, in particular?
2: We try to cover a pretty broad variety of stuff from, like, how big is the universe to is the universe simulation down to more, you know, everyday stuff like how does a microwave work or you know how do, today's episode was like how is it possible for stones to skip on water. Mm. And so what I would suggest is people just sort of skim the titles and find one that pulls them in and says, "Ooh, I want to know about that." Because everybody's got different curiosity and different passions. Um, my favorite ones are the particle physics ones, you know, what is a quantum field or mm-hmm. is light a particle or a wave or that's the kind of stuff that really gets me going. But uh, I think they're all fun, and people should follow the ones that, uh, that touch their personal curiosity.
1: Now, obviously, if people want to find the podcast, they can, they can find it wherever podcasts are available. But uh, well, what are some other uh, key uh, addresses or contact points you want to get out there?
2: Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Daniel and Jorge, or Facebook and Instagram. And you can look at our website, danielandjorge.com. And if you have a question that you'd love us to answer, just email us at questions at danielandjorge.com. We answer all of our listener emails, every physics question we get. And we love suggestions from listeners because we want to know what you want to hear about.
1: Awesome. Well, Daniel, thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to uh, chat with me here on the show. And, uh, you know, uh, Joe and I may take you up on on, on that, that email uh, situation uh, because we have physics questions from time to time that we certainly cannot answer. So it would be nice to, to bounce some of them off of you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Really fun to talk about
2: this stuff. I love the questions. And uh, thanks again.
1: All right. So there you have it. Uh, again, that was uh, Daniel Whiteson. Uh, co-host of Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe and uh, you can find that at DanielandJorge.com uh, you can also find that podcast anywhere you get your podcasts it's a, it's an in-network show they are our, essentially our co-workers on the other side of the, the continent here uh, but it's a, it's a tremendous show I highly recommend it awesome in the meantime if you want to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com because that is where you will find them you also find them everywhere you get your podcasts and as always we ask you uh, if, if you have a chance support the show by leaving a nice uh, rating and a review.
0: Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to get in touch with us to let us know feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com.